0: Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome again. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm a senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as uh, spring tries to work its way into our <coughs> days. So uh, with that comes comes pollen. So if y'all would pray for me uh, through this sermon, I have, <coughs> have, a, have a, had a, a Bit of a cough for about the last fifteen minutes, so if y'all pray for me, I appreciate it. Uh, good morning again. A couple of things that I would like to mention: we're going to be in Mark chapter ten. If you want to go ahead and start turning there in your Bible, uh, we do have life group fellowships this afternoon. Uh, there are no regular evening services happening here. If you are new to us, our life group fellowships, we believe that fellowship is an integral part of life groups so that there can be real ministry and accountability that takes place in those. We believe that uh, real fellowship can't always happen inside the walls of a church building. So we encourage you all to spend time together outside the walls of the church building, but we know how difficult it can be to carve out that time. So because it matters enough to us, we cancel everything on Sunday afternoon uh, once a quarter. So, that our life groups have time set aside where they can go and spend time together. So, hopefully, your life group has scheduled something at some point this weekend. Um, If you do not have a life group, I would urge you to get with Pastor Kevin and he can help. Pastor Kevin, there he is. Um, And uh, he can help you to uh, find a life group or just ask around. We have lots of life groups here uh, for sort of every stage of life. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, thank you for being here. And I hope that you'll visit a life group sometime soon. Uh, That's the lifeblood of our church. So uh, that's what we got going on this evening. Um, I appreciate that last song. Really enjoyed that. And I was just noticing we we had our children sing this morning and. felt like we had the youth movement up here this morning with uh, the girls on the drums and, and the boys over here with the strings. Uh, so, so young, it's important. We don't bring our kids up here to, to sing in front of you so that they can uh, be a part of a show. It's important that our children begin to learn to, to help participate and lead and worship at early ages. And so we want them to participate in that and we love to see them participate on Sunday mornings. I like it when you not so young people do it too, right? We're not, you know, we're thankful for everybody, but uh, just thank you for being here. Hopefully by now you've made it to the book of Mark chapter 10. We've been in Mark for quite some time. Last week we wrestled with uh, the permanence of marriage and saw how, how Jesus b- believes that to be such a, an important, does just believe it; Jesus commands and expects that marriage be permanent and an important part of, of, of uh, who we are as followers of Jesus. And this morning we're going to see how Jesus' kingdom is a bit upside down in the expectation of the disciples, in the expectation of what kingdoms look like and First century, and really in, in the expectation of what kingdoms, man-made kingdoms, look like in the 21st century today as well. If you have your Bible, I'm asking you to stand in honor of God's Word. We're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 13. Listen, I'm going to read all the way through verse 31. Some of you it might be a little much. If you need to sit down, that is that is just fine. Here now, for this is the word of God. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, and when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in his time. Excuse me, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last in the last first. <coughs> Kevin, we pray for you? <coughs> you. Truly, um, thank you for the scripture, God, and we know that you can do amazing things that that. So many things are impossible for us. Through you, all things are possible, God. And we ask that you would just bless the reading of the word, bless the sermon. Uh, pray for Craig right now, that you would help him to be able to uh, have a strong voice uh, to proclaim your word. In the name I pray, amen. amen. Thank you. It's, it's relatively appropriate that I would <clears throat> stand before you with a voice that doesn't want to cooperate, since our sermon is a stark reminder this morning that God, God is, is not tilted toward the strong and the powerful. Instead, His is an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that welcomes the weak and the helpless. The disciples had a misplaced understanding of Jesus' ministry. See, he was a, a king, His was a kingdom open to children, but resistant to rich young rulers. Jesus isn't a king only for the powerful, but for the helpless and even for the oppressed. This week, South Carolina and Georgia will be a buzz. The Masters Golf Tournament is upon us They're at Augusta National Golf Course. Augusta National is one of the top-rated golf courses, depending on where you look, maybe the top-rated golf course in all the country. It's among the most prestigious of country clubs. At any given time, Augusta National has a membership of around 300 members. The membership fee is rumored to be between $20,000 and $50,000 as a buy-in. And an annual, y'all are gasping, that's pretty low for a, a club that prestigious, believe it or not. Annual fee between five dollars and $10,000. Now we don't know this for sure because they don't actually tell anybody. That came out of a USA Today article in 2002. That's the last time anybody leaked anything. Membership to Augusta National is not not like a membership in other places. You can't just drive up with a $50,000 certified check at the door and say, I'm here to join. Membership in Augusta National was reserved only for those who are personally invited to join. It seems to those who are on the outside that it's not merely wealth that buys one into Augusta National, it's Seems to be reserved not only for those who have the the financial means, but also who are people of significant accomplishment. Suffice it to say, you got to really be somebody to join the likes of Condoleezza Rice, Bill Gates, Darla Moore, and Warren Buffett. Augusta National represents the kind of exclusivity that we sort of expect of greatness. Most likely... This is the sort of exclusivity that disciples had grown to expect of Jesus' kingdom. Now, we shouldn't be too hard on them, and this is why. You see, any time that we're a part of a club or an organization or a group or a team, we tend to, to sort of want to believe that it's pretty exclusive because we're a part of it, and we don't just want to be a part of something that everybody's a part of. The disciples expected and wanted Jesus' kingdom to come with the same sort of pomp and glory as the other kingdoms of which they've been aware. See, if Rome could do it, Jesus could certainly do it better. But as we're going to see this morning, Jesus' kingdom was very different. It was an upside-down sort of kingdom. And folks, I want to suggest that we probably need to adjust our view of Jesus to be more in line with his kingdom expectations. (coughs) As we wrestle with a question of how is it that you view Jesus... I think it's important that we understand that the way that we view Jesus is going to affect the way that we view his kingdom. And the way that we view Jesus and his kingdom is certainly going to have a significant impact upon the way that we participate in building up his kingdom. And so this morning, how is it that you can join Jesus in building his kingdom? The first thing we see from this passage, now I I sort of combined these two sections of scripture and it's a long section we read this morning from 13 all the way to 31, A lot longer than we normally do, but they they cover similar topics. And, And I just thought it would be important for us to wrestle together through these ideas as they're presented to us in the scripture. And the first thing we see is that in Jesus' kingdom, we have a responsibility to welcome the helpless. Welcome the helpless. Now, this strikes against our nature. We don't naturally gravitate toward the helpless, but we naturally gravitate toward those who may be able to help us. Those that may be able to offer things to us. But this is not in keeping with the expectations of Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom of God doesn't belong only to the strong and the mighty, but to the poor and the helpless among us as well. Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 2. See what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say to us about how it is that we should participate. My brothers, I'll let you turn. That's a good sound, and if y'all are going to turn, I'll wait on you, because I want you turning them Bibles. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, why don't you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith as, and heirs as, and rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are you not the rich ones who oppress you? It's, ah, can't read. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James urges us not to show deference to the rich. And Jesus goes on to say that we're to give the same privilege to children as we are to the powerful. Now, we're going to take a spiritual lesson from this, but I want to suggest to you, and this is going to be in your study notes for this week, There's not only a spiritual lesson in this for us to keep in mind that we need to show privilege even to the powerless among us, but I think that there's a a, a real practical application that children deserve our attention. Children deserve our attention in the ministry, in the ministry of the church. Children deserve our attention in our homes. And we have a responsibility, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, to raise our children, even our grandchildren, up to know the things of the Lord. In the first century, children were to be seen and not heard. You understand, the disciples saw the children coming to Jesus, and they said, no, 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 this is an important meeting. This is an important man, and this important man doesn't have time for unimportant things and unimportant people. Children are unimportant in the kingdom. You need to take your kids somewhere else. Now, again, we G-rate the Bible, and we read it like a Disney story. And Jesus sort of becomes a sweet grandpa, But the Bible says that um, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That's a big Bible word that means he was angry. He was ticked off. The disciples are saying, "Eh, you kids get out of here. And Jesus goes, who do you think you are? Don't hinder them from coming to me. Those children have a seat at my table. Those children are welcomed in my kingdom. The disciples are going, well, we don't know if we want them in this kingdom jesus you selected us and we want to wear the crown and jesus said, now there's only one crown in this kingdom and it's mine and these children are welcome and by the way if you want to come into my kingdom you better come like one of them what does it mean to come like a child does it mean to come snotty aggravating you know talking all the time it might But a whole lot of what it means is to come into God's kingdom completely helpless. Folks, we got to welcome the helpless. We don't like doing that because when we welcome the helpless into our church, you know what it does? It affects everything except the good things going on, at least in our mind, doesn't it? When we welcome the helpless, they don't have their act together. They don't have their mess together. They don't have their finances together. The helpless that come into the church, you know what they do? They're a drain on the finances. They are difficult relationally. Folks, and you know what? That's the kind of kingdom that God's called us to be a part of. Do you know that? I have a friend. He pastors a church in the upstate of South Carolina. And it's a church that is geared toward recovering addicts and alcoholics. It's a mess. Like, it's an ad- They're joy to worship with. Folks, you want to talk about people that know what they've been saved from? You get in a room full of recovering addicts when they lift their hands and they sing, My chains are gone. I've been set free. Folks, they know what they're talking about, Okay? But it's a mess. It is a mess. Sometimes they have deacons that get arrested because, because they fall back into their patterns of, of addiction. And they're visiting them in, in, in prison. This, it's a hard ministry, but here's what he said. He said, Craig, for every member, he said, we will never be a self-sustaining church unless God does something significantly, transformatively different in our church. Because for every new member that comes into our church, our per capita giving goes down. Because everybody they got coming in has lost everything. They're getting out of jail and coming to their church. They ain't got nothing to give, but you know what? He said, We're here for them because we're transforming our community one life at a time. Folks, if we're going to make a difference in God's kingdom, and if we're going to be an outpost for God's kingdom right here in East Camden, South Carolina, we've got to welcome the helpless. We're to give the same privilege to children as we are to the powerful. If the president walks in, we're thankful to have him. But you know what? The front row still belongs to the people who've been sitting on the front row. Why? Well, I guess this is a Baptist church. I should reverse that. I should say, when the president comes in, he has to sit on the front row. And the back row continues to be for all you back row Baptists. And make you feel a little better about it. Why? Why? Because we don't show deference. Because in God's kingdom, the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We have all been made one through the blood of Jesus Christ. And everybody is equal. And at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Folks, what's it look like to view Jesus rightly? Rightly. We begin to welcome the helpless into God's kingdom. We begin to welcome the helpless into our church. We don't just welcome them. We grab them by the hand and we drag them in. Why? Because this of all places is the safest place on earth where they should be allowed to be. This is the place where they find hope and healing. And listen here. I keep talking about all the they's. Check this out. All of you are helpless and hopeless in one way or another. And we're going to see in just a minute. If the only way you know how to refer to the helpless is as the them, you might be in a lot more spiritual trouble than you realize. Welcome the helpless. That's what it looks like to have a heart that's open to the things of God. The disciples didn't grasp this. They wanted to kick the, the children out. But Jesus, look, he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on him. It wasn't just let the kids come. Jesus gets down on his knees. And he says, bring them in. He sits them up on his lap. And he says, disciples, you look around. Do you understand how this is pie in the face of these disciples? They were publicly rebuked by Jesus. Folks, this isn't nice Jesus. The children thought he was super nice. Every adult in that area was covering their face going, ooh. Because you know it had to be Peter because he never shut his mouth. Peter's going, you don't belong here. The other disciples are going, you don't belong. This is the same group of disciples who had found the man casting out demons in Jesus' name. So no, 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 you're not a part of us. We, we are the in group, you are the other group. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, If you're not careful, these children will be the in group and you'll be on the outside looking in. Welcome the helpless. Not only must we welcome the helpless, second thing this morning we see is that we must humble ourselves. Now, we move on from the children, and and, and the Bible says that he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him. We know this guy from our King James raising as the rich young ruler. The rich man came with all of his stuff. He comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do? Now, what the Bible doesn't give us is tone inflection. We don't, we don't generally get in the Bible a, like a, a parenthesis that he says with you know, a sappy voice. We don't know exactly how he said it. So we don't know if he ran up to Jesus and says, Oh, good teacher, what must I do? Or if he came up with a bit of sarcasm and sort of a, 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 a super spirituali- spirituality. And he says, Oh, good teacher, what must I do? We don't know exactly how he said it. But we know that he comes up. And Jesus offers a bit of a rebuke again here. Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. Jesus says, don't come flattering me. Your flattery will get you nowhere. He says, but you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said, then, teacher, all these I have kept. Again, we have a bit of an air of religious superiority. Why? Do we really believe That he has kept all these perfectly? Do we honestly believe that in all of his ways? And even if he has kept these, this is only a sampling of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? This is only a sampling of the law. The man says, I have done all of these things from my youth. I've lived a perfect life, Jesus. I got it all together. The Bible says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, Folks, how often have you looked upon those outside of God's kingdom and loved them? How often have you looked at the hurting and the helpless among you and saw them not as a project, but as an object of God's affection? As a child of God who deserved your love and care and compassion, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. In our culture today, I want you to understand that we have a responsibility to look at those who think differently and act differently and and, and, and behave differently than we do and not see them as an enemy all the time, but to see them as objects of our pitiful, compassion pity, pitiful, not like bad, pitiful, compassionate love. Jesus didn't look at this guy and say, Oh, the enemy, get away. He loved him. When's the last time you disagreed with somebody and you loved them in the midst of that disagreement? When's the last time that somebody spoke to you with words that didn't, didn't fit well within your biblical worldview and rather than go after them, you loved them and you began to pray for them and wondered, How is it that I might speak compassion into their lives? The Bible says he loved him and he says, Hey, great job, but you lack one thing. Isn't that incredible? This man lists all of the things that he's done. And Jesus says, you lack only one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The Bible says, disheartened, he went away. For he had great possessions. Folks, I want you to know, first of all, this isn't a passage of scripture that says that everyone who comes to Jesus must sell everything they have. But this is a passage of scripture that tells us that Jesus can get straight to the heart of our idolatry. He sees through our blind spots and he identifies them, he points them out to us. And in this particular place, the young man says, I've done it all. And Jesus says, Oh, but one. He says, You're relying on your own power and your own ability. You're relying on your own riches and your own wealth. You must sell it all. The Bible says the young man walked away sorrowful, disheartened. Folks, I want you to know this. You don't strut into God's salvation. You crawl. You don't strut into God's kingdom. You crawl. This rich man came with all of his stuff. But his stuff and his money wouldn't buy him into the kingdom of God. There is no room in God's kingdom for proud and able. When Jesus said that it is easier to pass through the eye of a needle that that for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter heaven, I want you to know he meant that. Now let's dispel some rumors. There is no gate. Any of you heard this before? There, There is no gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the eye of a needle. So some people have said this. So we we like to take Jesus' words and tone them down and make them easier and more palatable. And so some have said that when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, and I don't even know where this rumor got started, but there was this special gate in Jerusalem, and it was opened, and it was really low, and, and for a camel to get through it, a camel had to actually get down on his little camel knees and crawl through to get into Jerusalem through the eye of a needle. So he said it's really hard to get into heaven. It's really hard to be saved. But if you work hard enough, you can do it. The problem is that there is no such gate in the wall of Jerusalem. When Jesus said it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, he wasn't talking about some weird gate that a camel could work really hard and fit through. Jesus is talking about a sewing needle. Now, in the ancient world, sewing needles had larger eyes than those little tiny things we have today. I don't know, one of the things that amazes me in life is that some of you senior adult ladies whose vision st- struggles and all this, you can still thread a needle. I don't know how y'all, I, that blows my mind. That, that to me is a miracle of God's grace. I don't want you to think about a sewing needle as they look today, so it was a little bit bigger, so we can, we can imagine that if maybe that, the eye of that needle was maybe a sixteenth of an inch wide. I, I want to make sure we're being honest. So it's a little easier for a camel to get through a sixteenth of an inch than it is those little minuscule things that we have today. But I, I think we could all agree that you've never seen a camel that will fit through the eye of a needle. You've never seen a big full-grown camel or a baby camel. You've never seen a newborn camel. There are no camels. You've never seen a stuffed camel that you can get through the eye of a needle. Jesus says... That entering into the kingdom of God for a rich person is near impossible. He said it's hard for rich people to become Christians. Here's a word of warning. You are all rich. All of us. We sat with our family devotions one evening this week. One evening when we were able to be at our kitchen table was beautiful. Everything that we were supposed to be doing was canceled. And so we were all sitting around the table at one time eating dinner before the sun went down. It was unbelievable. This time of the year that happens about twice for in three month period. But we all gathered together and I said, I'm gonna, I'm, I was going to read to the kids the passage of scripture that we're preaching through this morning. And, and I, I, I posed the question, to them, why would it be difficult for a rich person in the kingdom of heaven? It's appropriate that we would talk with our kids about it, since we're talking about how kids are welcome into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you, my kids could have preached this sermon. And they could preach it because kids take God's word at face value. And they go, rich person, get into heaven, why would that be hard? Well, because they don't need anything. They, they don't feel like they have to ask for anything. Everything they have, they're comfortable Did I mention that you don't strut into God's kingdom, you crawl? Folks, those of us that have never had to beg don't like the idea that we ever would. How do we view Jesus? Do you view Jesus as a God that says, come on, we love you, you're great. Thanks for having so many things. Oh, no big deal, just come on in, we'll take you. You're rich and the first century, it was sort of anathema for Jesus to suggest that this rich man who had kept the law was not going to enter into the kingdom of God because all the people around him would have assumed that this is a good fellow, he, he's pious, he shows up at church, he drives up in his new chariot every week, he looks good in his, in his you know, Cadillac chariot, he's got everything. God must really be blessing this man. And what they don't know is that in his heart of hearts, what he harbors is not praise and adoration and humility toward a holy God. What he harbors is pride, knowing that he has done everything to satisfy God, and God owes him something. Folks, God owes you nothing, and yet in Christ he has given us all the riches of heaven. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that you may inherit eternal life. How can you... Join Jesus in building his kingdom. You can welcome the help us first. Second, you got to humble yourself. Do you understand that? There is no place, pride goes before the fall, and there is no room in God's kingdom for arrogance. Why? Because you didn't do anything to earn it, you didn't do anything to win it. I wish Sloan was in here. Sloan gave us a good answer uh, on uh, that same devotion that night. He's five. That's important for y'all to remember. He's in kindergarten. Okay, so we're not talking about a rocket scientist. We're talking about a five-year-old. And what, how do we we get saved? What does it mean to become a Christian? Well, Jesus died on a cross. Why? Because we are sinners. What do we do? We sin. What else do we do? And he just sits there and looks at me. What What do you mean? What do you want from me, Dad? That's all I got. Because that's all there is, folks. What do we do to earn it? We sin. And what did he do? He looked at our helpless estate and said, I will make a way. That's the reason there's no room for arrogance in the kingdom of God. Because I've got no claim on it except for the blood of Jesus. He died for me, not the other way around. Lastly, this morning. So welcome to Help Us. Humble yourself. And finally, experience the miraculous. Salvation is a miracle. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We long for miracles. We celebrate the miracles of healing and preservation. But it is an incredible miracle to receive Jesus Christ in salvation. Do you understand that? Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man in heaven. The disciples said, who in the world is going to be saved? Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but with God nothing will be impossible. Do you understand that? Jesus is going to make the miraculous take place. You don't get through the eye of a needle by squatting down on your knees and working really hard through a small gate. You get through the eye of a needle when Jesus performs a miracle and brings a camel through the eye of a needle. The Bible makes use of several metaphors as it explains salvation to us. It says, as we saw here, it's like the camel passing through the eye of a needle. Uh, We're told that our hearts of stone are turned into hearts of flesh. Now, I've never seen a rock turned into a living thing, but the Bible says that's what salvation is like. My favorite one that we pass from death to life. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want you to understand that salvation is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle. But it is a miracle that is open for you and for me and for everyone else. For all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you understand that? Do you really believe that? Now, folks, for us to actually humble ourselves and welcome the helpless, what we have to do is we have to believe in the miraculous. Because if we don't believe that God can perform The miracle of changing lives through salvation. And folks, I'm going to tell you, we struggle to actually live in humility and to welcome those who don't look like us. Because we begin to grow calloused and arrogant. And here's what we say, well, they'll never change. Well, they could never be different. We don't want those kinds of people here. We know what they're like. Now, for some of you, you've even heard the devil whisper other things and you begin to buy the line in your own life. I can't change. I could never be different. I am what I am. Period. I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad dad. You know, my my father was a problem, and my grandfather was a problem, and so you know what, I am too, and there's just nothing nothing that can be done about it until we go to God's Word. And in God's Word, we we discover that there is something that can be done about it. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that it's salvation. Jesus transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. He actually uproots us from our sinful strongholds and sets us down on the rock that is Jesus Christ. We sang this morning, My feet are planted on the rock. That's what happens in salvation. I'm transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. It's a miracle. The rich young ruler went away sad because the rich young young ruler was depending completely upon his own wealth, his own ability, his own understanding, his own knowledge. And Jesus says, you can't buy your way in, but if you will sell it all and follow me, if you will die to yourself and live for me, you can have everything. The disciple says, "Who in the world is going to be saved?" And Jesus says, "Don't you worry. Not only will I save you." Jesus says, "All who have sacrificed for me will inherit in the life to come." Preached a funeral this week, Miss Iva Knight. Miss Iva was a long time. Well, she actually she was a long time believer. She was only a member here for about twelve years. And uh, you know, one of the beautiful things about her funeral. So we're able to talk about her confidence, not in what was going to happen in this life, but her confidence in the life to come. A confidence that no matter what this world may bring, that she was living for eternity. She was living with a hope for what there was in the future. See, the miracle of salvation is a miracle that rips us up out of our sin, plants us on the solid rock of Jesus, and gives us an inheritance for eternity. What's it look like to view Jesus as he is? What's it look like to join Jesus in his kingdom? We welcome the helpless. We humble ourselves. And folks, we can experience the miraculous. A changed heart. A renewed life. We can see families put back together. We can see lives delivered from addiction. Folks, you can be set free from the demons that haunt you. That's the power of the gospel. So this morning, in closing, I want to invite you to experience the miracle of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. See, it's easy for us to think about those people, but the reality is those people are us. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And as a result of our sin, the Bible says that we deserve to inherit Eternal punishment in a real place called hell. The Bible says that hell is the dividend that is paid. It is the, the, the result, the reward for our sin. But, but Jesus died that we might live. See, on the cross of Calvary, he took your sin and mine. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus said once for all that there is no them and us. Jesus said there is me and you. And all who would call upon him, that is Jesus Christ, would be saved. Do you need a miracle today? Do you need one? Can I tell you that I know the God of miracles? You say, Craig, how do you know? Because I can remember nearly 30 years ago now when He ripped me out of my sinful estate and planted my feet on the rock of Jesus Christ. You see, I've seen lives delivered, I've seen marriages transformed. I've seen deathbed confessions, and I have a confidence that there are some who walked to their deathbed lost, but opened their eyes in the kingdom of God. See, I believe that Jesus is a God who loves you right where you are, and that your sin. Though it has separated you from him, has not separated you so far that the cross of Jesus can't bring you back. This morning, would you come? Would you come and experience the miracle of salvation? There may be some of you this morning that say, you know what, I'm so thankful that God saved me years ago, but today I'm in a mess. My life's in shambles. Perhaps it's not your life. Perhaps you're praying for God to work a miracle in the lives of your children or your grandchildren or your co-worker or your neighbor. Perhaps there are those around you who need to be welcomed into Jesus' arms to be told that to such belong the kingdom of God. Perhaps there are those that you know have trusted in themselves and they need to be broken. And today you need to come and pray right here at this altar and pray, Lord God, would you work a miracle in the lives of those I love? You don't need to write a $50,000 check to get into God's kingdom. And if you had all the money in the world, it wouldn't be enough to buy your way in. But Jesus paid the price on Calvary's cross. And today, He will have you. As His son, daughter, co-heir in His kingdom. Would you come today and receive Jesus? Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would move among us today. Father, I pray that if there is uh, there are those here today who do not know you, that today would be a day of salvation. Father, I pray that you wouldn't allow pride or fear, Lord God, to keep us from calling out on Christ. Father God, I pray that if there are those here today, Lord, I, I know, actually, I know, Lord God, that as we sit here today, that, Father, we, we, we can think of friends and, And family members and neighbors who need the Lord. God, I pray today that you would begin the process of working the miraculous in their lives as well. Show us, Father, how it is that we may bear the good news to the perishing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we sing? There's a place mm yeah.